Well, if you were with us last week, I shared how there we are stretching muscles. We're doing a good stretch on our muscles of our faith, of our mind even, as we uh, are in this study, in this series. And last week we talked about nominal and notional Christians. And the notional is certainly what you don't want to be. That's the idea that you... You're not a believer, you're not a follower, you're not born again, you just are in agreement with the whole concept of Christianity. Nominal is whenever you are, well, you're born again, but let's just say you're pretty stagnant in the faith, and you're kind of, you're kind of bottomed out there somehow, some way, and aren't really moving ahead. And if you remember last week, I talked about the problem with the nominal Christian is that they hear, but they don't listen. They hear, but they don't listen. And that's a real dangerous posture to develop. And the longer you do that, the easier that becomes than listening. And you know the difference because you've raised children, or some of y'all have raised children. There's times that your children hear you, but they're not listening to you. If you you work with people at all, it doesn't matter if your children or not, they hear hear you, but they're not listening to you, and you have to come back and correct and have corrections of errors and all that kind of stuff along the way. And so we don't want to be nominal Christians. We don't want to hear a message but not listen to that message, let it sink into us, let it change us, let it rearrange for us. But today, if statistics hold true, about 66% of the Christians of this room, again, if statistics hold true, 66% of the Christians in this room will hear me but not listen to me. Will hear the Word of God but not listen to the Word of God. Will not let it sink into them. And that's, again, a dangerous posture to be. And I have, I have data to back that up here in just a moment. And why I draw that conclusion is because of the topic that I'm talking about because of where we are in Hebrews and how Hebrews includes something in a very bold, profound way that I couldn't just gloss over, skip over, say we don't have time for because it's huge. It's there. It takes up, it takes up half of a chapter. And so you've got to kind of lean in on it and kind of pay attention to it. And it's the big, ugly word topic of tithe. We're going to talk about the tithe, okay? And that's scary for some people. It really makes it, some people uncomfortable. Uh, and for others in this room, it doesn't make you uncomfortable. Uh, it's kind of like three categories of people. There's the uncomfortable, the comfortable, and the clueless, all right? And you kind of have to classify yourself. If you don't know what a tithe is, then you're the clueless category, all right? A tithe is whenever we willingly worship in a worshipful attitude, willingly give to the Lord in an act of worship uh, 10% of what God has given to us, all right? Allowed us to make whatever that increase may look like uh, in our life. Okay, but now there's those in this room that are feeling very uncomfortable by, at the side of this topic. And then there are those who are saying, hey, I, I want to hear more about this. And those that want to hear more about it are probably because those who are really trying to do it, really trying to lean in on it, really practicing some form of a measurement of a tithe uh, of sorts. And then there are those who just like, they feel guilty and they don't want to go here. They don't want to talk about it. This is so old fashioned. This is Old Testament. We're New Testament. They start throwing out all this stuff that kind of soothes over their conscience but doesn't have good biblical basis to it. And I want to talk about now, why, you know, now, and also I want to talk about the why of it because one of the things I have learned, in, again, I just continue to learn as I continue to study is, and also practice what I study, hear it, not, I mean, listen to it, not just hear it, is that tithing is not a duty, it's a delight. 
It can be, should be a delight of your life. Tithing hasn't dissolved with the Old Testament. It has evolved throughout the Scriptures, okay, from Old through the New Testament, uh, even in the New Testament, even to our day. And so understand that. But it's also not God's way to poverty. Uh, it's, it's God's way to prosperity. And again, I don't want to say prosperity gospel as in name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, something like that. You give me a dollar, God will give you ten. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, in fact, I'll tell you this. The prosperity that I'm describing, that I'm talking of, is actually prosperity that will not fit on a W-2 form. All right, you'll, and great thing about it, you'll not even have to pay taxes on it, all right, uh, most likely. It'll be something, somehow, some way, God's going to pour back into your life as you willingly, worshipfully give out in, in, in act of worship to Him, in, in obedience to Him. As you do that, you'll find in some form or fashion, God blessing you. And again, I go come back to that statistic, 66%. Well, 33% of the Christians who've taken a survey said that they actually practice tithing. Now, I think it's pretty high, uh, but let, let's just stick with it, okay? That's one of Barna's researches, and he said that 33% say that they tithe. When they got into the those who actually filled out the survey, they asked them to put down their their, the amount that they give, they ask them to put down what's on their W-2 and what actually they receive in income over the course of the year, the realization is that 33% didn't actually tithe, actually only 12% actually practice tithing. Now, that's not a, that's not a small margin error. That's not an accounting, uh, just a rounding error. That's significant. That's, that's, that's a big gap between those who think, those who say, versus those who really are. And so I want us to kind of talk about this, to kind of break this down today, not because it's a fun topic to talk about. In fact, it's, a, it's quite difficult uh, because I know it makes some people feel quite nervous and a little shaky. But I'll tell you this, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's of imminent importance to us. It, the church without faithful tithing members of that church it is the Achilles heel of the ministry. The tithe is the fuel that enables the mission to be carried out. You can have, listen, and I believe this, I don't want to pastor another church on the planet. All right? I just want to go from here to heaven. All right? But I believe that Grace Point is the greatest church. That I don't want to pastor any other church. I think we're in, a, in, in an opportune environment and context. I believe we've got amazing people, and God just continues to add to us amazing people. And so with all of that amazement, why would I go to less than amazing, whatever that is, okay? Why would I want to do that? But, you know, you can have all the amazing context, all the amazing people, all the amazing opportunity. You can have an, a, a God-sized vision. But if you don't have the fuel for it, if you don't have the resources added to it, then you have a real problem. You have a God-side vision. You have people of the capacity to, to fulfill that vision. But the reality is it won't happen. It's not going to happen because it doesn't have the fuel to get it done. And yet this is, listen to this, this is the oldest or one of the oldest. This is the, the, the easiest measurable this is the simplest to compute forms of spiritual disciplines in all of the scriptures. All right, do you pray or do you not pray? That's very subjective. Do you read your Bible? Do you not read your Bible? Do you give 
of your income or do you not, it's pretty cut and dry. It's, it's ideal, but it's also very fair because the great thing is, is you may make $100 more tomorrow on your job. Well, guess what? That's 10% more that you get to give, but God is so just in, in that that if you make $100 less tomorrow, guess what? That's 10% less that you're going to give. It is the most fair, measurable, easy to compute, oldest, longest standing disciplines that we see in Scripture all lined up. And some people just come back to this and they just say, Mike, 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 don't you understand? We are living in the New Testament. We are living under grace. We are not under the law. We have this measurable thing out there and we need to be way past that. The reality is, is the people who typically say that aren't even giving 10%. And there's a tragedy, there's a, there's a horrible, horrible tale being told here whenever the Christians give less than those Jews who gave more under the law. It's like this, it is, if Christians don't do more under grace than the Jews did under the law, it's a disgrace to grace. Think about it like that. We've got to realize as Christians, we've got to do more. We've got to step up to, to the plate. So I want to do about a 30,000-foot flyover today of this whole concept. And, and you just need to bear with me through this because it is very important to your life and to your future. But not only that, to the mission of God and what He wants to do through you, through us, through God's kingdom around the world. It is absolutely paramount that we get this down. So let's understand it from a historical point of view. One, let's talk about it from the patriarchs. Let's talk about it from those predating the Jewish nation. Let's talk about it from those who, before the law was ever put in place. And you have this man named Abram. And the very first time it's ever mentioned is Genesis chapter 14, whenever he, Abram, gave a tenth of everything he had to this priest named Melchizedek. All right? Now, that's important. That Genesis chapter 14, verse 20 is the first mention of it. And as you mention it, as you see it, you find in that passage that, that, that kind of precedence that's set there. All right? Not much definition, but here's another one. Let me give you the second one under the patriarchs. There's also the example of Jacob. Jacob built an altar, and after he built that altar, he tithed. God had given him a dream that he was going to bless him and all this kind of stuff happens. He wakes up. He says, I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. Now, in those two examples right there alone, you see patriarchs, leaders, foundational pillars of our faith. And what are they practicing? Willful, joyful, proportionate giving based on how God blesses their life. All right? And that's before Moses ever put the law into place. It's even Abram is before the Jewish nation, before his name ever even became Abraham. So you've got to think about it like that. But let's, let's move on because I want us to understand that tithing did not dissolve over time. It evolved. It gets more definition the further and further we go down the pipe, okay? So the next, next example, next period in time is tithing under the Mosaic law. Okay, again, I told you when we were studying Hebrews that we're going to be looking at the Old Testament and we'd be looking at the New Testament. And again, we're doing a fly-through right now. Tithing gets greater clarity. In fact, in in, in tithing in chapter uh, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, A tithe of everything, Leviticus 27, 
A tithe of everything from the, from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, you know the great thing about everything? Is it pretty much includes what? Everything. All right? So if you need definition, if you have a goat or you have ten goats, God gets one goat. Okay? If you have $100... You just do the math all the way through. If you have a car, if you, if you have, all of everything that you earn, that you make, that you increase, that God gives you, it belongs to God. That first, that first ten percent. Now, here's something that may, again, I told you, it's going to evolve, not dissolve. It's going to give greater definition. When you get to the Old Testament and you start studying the Levitical law and you start studying the different tithes, there were actually three different tithes, of up to thirty percent. And you're going, "Uh uh-oh, where are we going to end up with this? Uh, The great thing is Jesus says at the end in Luke 14, he says, I want everything. Okay, he wants all of you, okay? But we're not going to go there today. So we're just going to settle on, if I would, just be realized, if we could understand that that first 10%, that first 10% off the top, scrape it off, and it belongs to God. Now, none of y'all laughed when I said that God wanted everything, all right? Okay, never mind. A Levitical tithe. Let's talk about that then, all right? Because there's three different tithes that, 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 that was taken. The Levitical tithe was a tithe that was taken to support the Levitical priests. Because when they divided up the land, the Levites didn't get any of the land, okay? Uh, the, all the other tribes got a piece of the land. All the other tribes had a way to raise crops. All the other tribes had a way to sell off or whatever they could do on that land. That was their land. But the Levites didn't get any. They were devoted to the work inside the temple. They were devoted to being spiritual advisors. They were devoted to be, being intercessors. They were devoted to, to that practice of being a priest. That was their task. So the people of the land were to give a tithe, and a part of that tithe would be to go to support those who serve. Numbers chapter 18, verse 24 says, For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given it to the Levites for an inheritance. Now here's the cool thing. I think it's pretty cool. When you look at Grace Point Church ministry budget, what you're going to find is that you're going to find these three tithes, I think, fairly well represented, okay? Even though I know they did things totally different in the Old Testament and there were ceremonial law and all that kind of stuff. There, you're going to find in broad strokes these three tithes being represented by what you give to Grace Point, okay? First is the Levitical tithe. We have eight to nine, I guess nine, full or part-time pastoral team members. We have support staff, part-time support staff that works under them. You know what our mission is? My mission as your pastor is to be a spiritual advisor, an intercessor, to encourage, to strengthen you, and I can't do it alone. We have them for your preschool. We have them for your children. We have them, we have them for our community. We, we have a pastoral team that is hopefully, 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 you don't have to look very long or very hard, and you'll find that there is benefit to your life, benefit to your faith, benefit to your marriage, that there's a value add because of, the, uh, because of what we're able to do as a pastoral team. And so I want to say on behalf of the pastoral team, thank you for your your gifts for enabling us to live and to give my life all the time to this. I don't have a part-time job. I don't have another gig out there. This is what I give my life towards, and, and I appreciate that, and I speak on behalf of all the pastoral team and support staff 
in saying that. But even Paul reinforces this, that this is a good thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, he says, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So we, we, we are able to stay alive, put our kids through school, keep us healthy, put clothes on our back, live our lives because of what you uh, are helping us with. Thank you. All right, number two. Let's talk about the festival tithe. The festival tithe is spoken of, and it supported all the acts that happened inside the, inside the temple walls. All the ministries, you know, Baptists have always been accused of being about fried chicken and mashed potatoes. Uh, listen, the Jews have us beat. They had 11 different festivals over the course of a year. 11 different festivals. Think about that. Over the course of the years, they would have 11 different festivals. That's an average of one a month. They, they funded the festivals of the temple, the, the, the festival of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the festival of weeks. The, the festi- there were so many different festivals that they did, and the tithes kept it going. Now, let me just say this. The ministry that's going on right now with your children, the ministry that happens inside the four walls of this church, week in, week out, six to, um, sometimes up to seven days a week, different ministries, different things going on, on on this campus, it's because of your tithe that we're able to do this. This doesn't just happen, okay? We don't have a, a lever from God and He throws money down to us. It happens through God's people being obedient to the tithe. That's the only way it happens. And if the tithe isn't there, the ministry isn't going to be there. Here's something cool, though. Our ministry campus, we've said it from the beginning, and even as we expand, we're saying it into the future, that this ministry campus is not ours. It is the community's. And I had uh, Waltina look over our calendar over the past year. This past year, the past 12 months, 15 different nonprofits agencies, community-based organizations came in, used our facilities, serving over 2,000 different people in amazing ways. And this is a ministry campus that we've said our community can use. All right? And it only happens, again, I come back to it, because of the tithe. All right, there's the third tithe that happened under the Levitical law, under the Mosaic law. And that is there was a charity tithe. The charity tithe took place every three years. They would bring in another tithe. That tithe would be stored inside the temple storehouse. They would then use the grains, the, 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 the non-perishables, the rice, the whatever. They would then service the needs of the community, those who were in need. All right, here's a verse for you. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 13. Then you shall say before the Lord, your God, I have removed the sacred portion. Have any of y'all ever looked at your tithe as a sacred portion? Think about it. Out of, our, out of my house and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow according to all the commandment that you've co- commanded me. Here's what I'm saying. When you look at our little, tithe, our little offering envelope in the seat pocket in front of you and you see that little ministry button, little, uh, little thing, everything that goes into that supports those three things that we just talked about. Ministry to the pastoral team, ministry inside these walls, ministries outside these walls, to the sojourners, to the widows, to the orphans that we can bless and that we can minister to. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. That's hopefully also the way we're carrying those principles forward into the New Testament. Let's talk about tithing in the New Testament because a lot of people say Jesus didn't talk about it. He did three different times. 
Two times in Luke, one time in Matthew, Matthew 23, 23 is the example that, I'm, that, I, that I want to use when he's talking about the Pharisees and how the Pharisees were being very legalist. He says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. If they had a leaf of, of, of cilantro, they would measure that, count that tithe off of that. That's how to the detail they were about their tithing. From their, from their gardens, but you ignore the more important aspect of law, justice, and mercy. Yes, you should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus did affirm tithing. It is something that continues. It doesn't, it's not something that dissolves. It's something that should continue on even as we live out our Christian faith today. So let's talk about tithing today. This is my statement, all right? You can write it down, you can remember, you can forget it. Again, you can hear it or you can listen to it. It's up to you. All right. After I look, after years of studying, after years of degrees, and after living in a third world country and living in God blessed America, where do I land on it? I land that the first 10% in honor and obedience to God goes to my church. Where I belong, what I'm a part of, where my family's growing, it's the bride of Christ. It supports its ministries. And then I just get to live in the obedience and in the blessings that come through that. And that's just a good discipline in, in, in my life. And, and I, hopefully it's going to be one of those things that will be true of your life. Take your Bibles, look at Hebrews chapter 7. Let's, let's hit this quickly. Because I want you to understand, again, why do we do it? Why? Okay. It's not something that we just created, and it's not something that ended. It's something that's been going for a long, long time. And it's just whether or not we as Christians are going to be obedient. We are going to make the adjustments that we need to make to do this, because it's not going to be easy, I'll promise you that. If you've been spending 107%, which is what the average American spends, they spend $1.07 for every dollar they make in a year, it's going to be real hard for you to carve off 10%. But here's the, here's the benefit. When you start putting Christ as a priority in that, in that domain of your life, things begin to can, can, can work out, okay, in the end. Just take my word for it. Take my testimony for it. Take other people's testimony for it as well. But in the, in the, in the Old Testament, or excuse me, in, in chapter 7 of Hebrews, we find again him referring to the order of Melchizedek. This guy keeps coming up. It appears like three or four different times that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. All right? Seven times in the seventh chapter of Hebrews is the word tithe mentioned. And I want to read it very quickly, and you circle every time you see the word tithe or a tenth or whatever. Here we go, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king, it's a very important title that he carried, of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Melchizedek blessed him. And when he blessed him, uh, to him Abraham uh, uh, portioned a tenth part of everything. He gave it to the king and the priest named Melchizedek. All right? He is first by translation in his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem. And then that is the king of peace. 
three different domains. We'll come back to those in a moment. He is without the father, the mother, the genealogy. This is where he starts drawing it in and saying this Melchizedek, even some people believe that he was a pre-incarnate Christ, okay? Just get that into your think tank. But, but I believe he's a literal figure, and here it is. He says, but now he's drawing the connection between Melchizedek and Jesus. He, says, he is without a father or a mother or genealogy, having neither beginning days or, or the end of life, but resembling the Son of God who continues as priest forever. See now, see how great this man was whom Abraham, the patriarch, we talked about patriarchs earlier, gave a tenth. There's the, first, there's the second time it's used. A tenth and the descendants of the Levi and received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from the brothers and, those, and these who descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendant from uh, descendant from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who made a promise. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. There's a lot to say in that one. Don't have time. Verse 8. In one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say, that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. Listen, the priests, the pastors are not exempt from tithing. I tithe, all of our pastoral team tithes, all right? Abraham, for he was still in the loins of the ancestor Melchizedek and met him. I wanted to read the entire text just for you to see again and again how throughout history tithing has been important. Now, here's the question I want us to ask with two reasons. I want to give them to you quickly. Why you should tithe. One reason. Number one, if Jesus is my king, he deserves my loyalty. All right? If he is your king, then hopefully just from that, you are going to pay homage. You are going to pay to him. You are going to do it with a joyful heart. The Bible says God loves a joyful giver. All right? Now, he'll, he'll take it from a grouch, but he loves a joyful giver. Just remember that, all right? So the, the realization is, is that he's your king, and therefore there ought to be this loyalty to your king. And so therefore, now what's he the king of? We just talked about it real quickly. He's the king of righteousness. Think about that for just a moment. The king of righteousness. That's of your spirit. Righteousness doesn't flow from your head to your heart. It flows from your heart to your head, to your life, to your extremities. It flows out of you. If he's the king of righteousness, he's the king of your spirit. Hopefully because he has changed the inside of you, because you are beating to a different drum today, because you see life differently today, because you feel life differently today, because you emote life differently today, because he's your king of righteousness, you'll be loyal to him a tithe. Also, he's the king of your everyday life. He was the king of Salem. Salem was a real town and a real place with a real zip code and real people. It was now, it later it becomes in the Bible, Jerusalem. All right? He's the king of your Salem, your Jerusalem, your Bentonville, your Rogers, your Bella Vista, your Walmart. He's the king of your everyday life. But he's also the king of my soul. He's the king of peace. And other times he's called the prince of peace. Listen, you're not going to find anywhere else on the planet that you're going to find the level of peace that you find outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And merely that alone 
should be enough that I should say to my king, I should say, king, what do you want from me? And I'd be willing to give him a tithe out of my loyalty to him. Listen, it's so real, it's so, it's so permanent. Even in our day as it was in the, in the Bible days, people struggling with their, who's going to be the king of their life. Who's going, to be the, who's going to be on the throne? That Jesus talks more about money than he does about heaven or hell. Think about it. That's why Jesus said so keenly, he drew a line in the sand and he said it like this in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You're going to have to choose who's going to be the king. And who, whoever is the king, you will give your money to. Ron Blue, a financial planner, said it so well, so succinctly. He said, you can't fake stewardship. Stewardship is the management of money. You can't. Your checkbook reveals all that you really believe about stewardship. A life story could be written from a checkbook. It reflects your goals, your priorities, your convictions, your relationships, and even the use of your time. A person who has been a Christian for even a short while can fake prayer, Bible study, evangelism, going to church, and so on. But he can't fake what his checkbook reveals. It says so much. Let me tell you this. There's a lot of domains in all of our life. There's our hobby domain. There's our family domain. There's our... There's all these domains. There's our money domain, our job domain. And you know what? In every one of those domains, I want Jesus Christ to be King, Lord over all that, over every domain. And the way I make sure that He is the King of the domain of Mike McDaniel's resources, money, whatever's in the bank, whatever I have, is that I make sure off the top, before I pay the light bill at the house, before we go on vacation, before we buy a new car, before we do pay taxes to the government, I want God to be first and foremost at the front of my life, and I make it when I make a tithe commitment to Him. Number two, Jesus is worthy of a tithe, not only because He's my King, but also because He's my priest. You just read that passage of Scripture, and you read how He's the King and the priest. You read in verse 3 how He's the priest forever. He's the priest forever. He doesn't end being the priest. The beauty of Christ as a priest brings the soft side to it when you understand that the priest is not a king. You think of a king, you think of a guy with a whip and a, and a spear and a sword. And a, that's not the king that we have, okay? We have a different kind of king. We have a priest king, a king priest, a priest who, who loves and embraces us, a priest who, who accepts us, a priest who brings us in. He's very relational, all right? John MacArthur said it like this, giving is not God's way of raising money. He doesn't need your money. If He wants it, He'll take it. I'll promise you. He knows how to do it. It's called pink slips. It's called broken down cars. There's lots of ways that He can take it if He needs it. Uh, it's a way of raising children. He really wants to make a difference in your life. And when He's your priest, He's really serving to connect you to God. and He's really trying to raise you up and raise me up. And so I tithe because He's my priest. And when I think, I can give you 15 reasons. 15 reasons, just in the book of Hebrews alone. 
15 reasons of why I should tithe. Because he's faithful. Because he's merciful. He's not a mean high priest. He's standing in the gap. He's faithful to me. He's appointed by God as my high priest. He's forever the high priest. He's sympathetic. Just dwell on that one. He's not a God who doesn't cry when you cry. He cries with you. I got plenty of scripture to support that. He rejoices with you. He walks with you. He's walked in your shoes before. He's a high priest who wants to be in a relationship with you. But when we take our our money, our tithe, and we keep it to ourselves, what kind of relationship is that really? It's God, would you bless me as I keep it to myself? Go back and read Jacob again. God, as you bless me, I'll give to you. That's the great thing about the tithe again. You only give what God blesses you with. If He doesn't give it, you don't give it. When He gives it, you give it. This is something that a lot of people struggle with. I want you to meet some of our people, and I want you to hear some of their stories about how God has changed their life through this process. For the longest time, God was Savior, um, and I trusted Him in that. But at some point in my life, He became He became Lord of my life. So I, I grew up in a home, of course, that had the opposite of Christian values to some extent. Um, drugs and alcohol were prevalent every day of my life. Those kind of stresses or things that I had to go through from a very young age. You know, God's specific in His Word about tithing. We don't have to think about it. We just kind of do it. Tithing is an opportunity to acknowledge who He is as Lord in my life and to trust Him and for me to be obedient and worship Him through that. At the age of nine is when I started going to a church, uh, at a church where they ran a church bus on Sundays and Wednesday nights to pick up the kids in my area, uh, and started going then. And through that, I came to know Christ. Now I coming to Grace Point and doing North Point class and having to make a tithing commitment or being asked to not having to, but being asked to make a three-month tithing commitment and looking into what that was. I've never had to tithe before. I've never had money to tithe, really, and um, having gotten a teaching job and God providing that for me, and just not too long after getting that job, coming to North Point um, and having a paper, you know, asking me to commit to three months tithing was extremely hard for me, and so much of me said, no, I can't, I can't make it work, I have this to pay, I have this to pay. I think, for me, tithing has always been our way of saying, I trust you, God, even though I'm a little bit afraid of what might happen, I can still say, I trust you in in this. We've made up our minds, we understand who God is, and we tithe and we acknowledge Him as a a couple and through our marriage, and it just gives us another opportunity to to grow closer to each other, but as a couple, this gives us an opportunity to, to worship together. As I was struggling through this process, I... I had gotten this job teaching and starting it, and the first paycheck didn't come for three months. And so I was struggling to make bills and to pay everything. And in my small group, my BLG group, I had asked them to pray for me, just that I would continue to lean on Christ to give me that strength to get through that, and that the money would come however it may, and just that I would be able to pay my bills. The next day I had one of my friends in my BLG group call me and say that he had been praying 
um, that he had gotten a bonus check and that was just praying that God would allow him to give that to someone in need. And he had been praying over this money and he just hadn't felt anyone come forward or didn't see the need to give it anywhere. And through my prayer, he his prayers were answered and he was able to give that money to me and to be able to pay my bills uh, for the whole month was was humbling for me to see someone so grateful to give and and it affected me with wanting to be able to do the same and through tithing um, I still have been given the opportunity to give money to friends that are going on missions trips and things of the such so it was a blessing to see God providing for me even before I was able to give. Um, when I first understood what tithing was and uh, thought, oh gosh, 10%, and I started looking at the numbers and I had a truck payment, I had a student loan payment, I had rent and I had groceries, and there's no way my budget would have balanced. So I just kind of quit looking at that. I started with my tithe and God took care of the rest. I mean, I remember a specific example where I was getting ready to go on a mission trip and the only way to pay for it was to sell an old beater car that I had. And I sold the car and as soon as I got back, someone else um, gave me money for that mission trip. And it was God's way of saying, you know, you sacrificed and you didn't have to. All you really had to do was trust me. But because you were obedient, uh, he just blessed that. It's not something that he needs from us. He doesn't need our money. It's something that we do. It's a sacrifice that we make and we show him that uh, we love him and we want to be obedient to him. Look at tithing as an opportunity to to uh, to acknowledge him and to be and and to and as a way to work your faith out um, and and God will bless that and he will he will he will multiply that in your life in many different ways. I've seen my relationship with Christ grow uh, and I've seen the different parts of my life that I haven't given up to him yet and so it's such a blessing and I just pray that you can see that and that you can do that and your relationship can change the same. You know, let me just say this. If you're not a part of Grace Point Church and you're a follower of Christ, that's okay. We don't want your tithe. All right? Your tithe belongs at your church, wherever that is. All right? I'll say this to the Grace Point family. If you're, this is your church, if this is your home, if this is where you grow week after week and your family is growing, it needs to be here, all right? I want us to read a verse, probably the most commonly quoted verse uh, in, in, on the topic, Matthew 3, or excuse me, Malachi 3. Tim, would you read it out loud with me? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Now, we already know what storehouse is and what they did with the, with, the, with the resources that came into the storehouse. But one of the phrases that stands out to me is, put me to the test. Put me to the test. You try me in this. The only time in Scripture that we're ever told to test, to try God is this single passage of Scripture. And what does he say he'll do? I will bless you. I will bless you. In some way, again, sometimes it's tangible, sometimes it's, it, 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 it's, it's not. 
And so think about it in your, in your life. And so what we've done is we've tried to remove as many possible barriers uh, to, that would keep you, keep us from being obedient to that. That's one of the things about being a seeker-sensitive church is we've tried to do that. So I want to give you four, four or five resources that are available to you today to kind of get you moving in that direction. One, and this is a pretty cool one, uh, I think it is anyway, is the tithing three-month tithe challenge. You heard Anna speak of that. And that's basically, it is a, I know it sounds very Western 21st century, it's a money-back guarantee that if God doesn't bless you, and I'll let you define the blessing, all right? We're not even going to ask you what that blessing is, all right? You get three months to be obedient to God in this area. And if you don't find your marriage sweeter, your job more satisfying, greater contentment, that old beater car going a few extra hundred miles or a thousand miles down the road, then I'll promise you this. All you have to do is write one letter say, hey, I need my money back, all right? And we will send you a check, no questions asked. All you need to do is sign the tithe challenge in the back and submit that to the church. Now, listen, we're not trying to be hoaxy-poxy here. We're just, we've had uh, like 30 families make this commitment and go through this challenge. Not one of them has asked for their money back. So I'm assuming there's been blessings, all right? So right now we're 100%. Uh, so think about it like that. But here's another thing. I want you to start thinking about this, setting up online giving, all right? There's a form in the back. There's a resource table. I'll be hanging out in the back uh, by the couch. You can go back there. All the stuff is back there and available. There's an online giving step-by-step uh, way you can set that up because guess what? When you go on vacation, the ministry doesn't. And so you can set that up and it happens automatically. Lori and I do it. We adjust it when there's a raise, up or down, or whatever. And that's what it happens. We don't even think about it after that. It's just a, a faithful commitment that we've made. Now, obviously, if you're going to do this, it's going to require some adjustments to your life. I developed for us, Lori and I used this whenever we were in our budgeting process at one time, is an ABC budget. A stands for absolute, got to have it, got to have it. B stands for your basic needs of life, basic comfort items. And then C stands for comfortable living. We have an Excel spreadsheet you can download. You can pick up a hard copy in the back. That's available for you um, to just kind of sort through. And the more you can move out of the absolutes, out of the A's, and the more you can move from the B's into the C's, the more you'll realize, hey, I can do this, all right? Then the, uh, the fourth thing is that there's a treasure principle book back there. There's a free Bible study. If you buy one of the books, they're back there uh, as well. And so they're available for you. It just is further study on the topic. It's an amazing book, the best book I've read on the subject. And, and, and lastly, we got some amazing trustees, godly men who serve in our church, who themselves tithe. we got pastoral team members, men and women that you can call on that are available if you want to talk with somebody about this and just how it works and how it works for you, that they're available. And all you have to do is shoot me an email and I'll link you up with one of them, mike at gracepointchurch.net. All right, pretty simple. There it is. Hard to do, but be faithful to it and watch God bless you. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take up our offering. Ushers are going to come. We're just going to continue right on in our worship at this time and put it to practice. Uh, so let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for pursuing us, choosing us, loving us, embracing us, not putting us down like a, like a bad hand in a card game but pursuing us. And Lord, we should in turn
return because you are our priest, because you are our king. Give freely and with a heart of worship back to you. So Lord, I pray right here, right now, that there'll be changed hearts, changed practices, so that the ministry that you're doing in and through this church, in these four walls and beyond these four walls, will go so much further, so much faster. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.